to the ground. We're back. <laughs> right off the bat. We're getting way too silly in the pre-roll. Another episode, another guest, uh, another heavy hitter, another multifaceted individual. Uh, we got a uh, f- founding and only member of Int- Intuit over it. <laughs> uh, pet symmetry, there, there, there. Uh, stay ahead of the weather. Uh, Dimera at some point. <laughs> and, I really uh, only know you as the guy from Reverb. That's all. <laughs> and uh, owner, owner of Storm Chasers Limited. Uh, we got Evan Weiss on the pod. Hi, y'all. Yo. What's up? <laughs> everyone, everyone was banging down our doors asking when we were getting you on the pod. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was the first question. <laughs> we we know like, who, when we, are you gonna... who who are, who of your friend group are you squeezing to get on this? <laughs> We're milking you know, we, everybody we for all they're worth. We can't carry this thing by Joe Morrow's clout alone. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got to at least bring someone on, you know, every so often who's got similar <laughs> levels. And then we're going to squeeze, and then we're going to squeeze you for people you know too. So don't don't worry about that. Okay, we we run a podcast also, and we're probably going to ask one of y'all to be on it eventually. Oh hell yeah, <laughs> Evan. Evan, I want to start. How are you? I'm I'm well. <laughs> Better yet, how I'm- is your mother doing? <laughs> 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 she is well too she misses her kids she's oh like, uh, probably lonely in cherry hill right now just like uh but yeah i'm doing good i uh was telling dan you know just before we got on you know obviously i'm i uh i had covid last week i just finally tested negative today so i'm feeling really great i'm a new homeowner which has been oh yeah exciting um you know i never if you told me even five years ago that i'd be the type of human that owns a home i would have told you you're crazy and, are uh, you in Chicago City proper? I am. I did not move to the Burbs. I'm not a, a fucking sellout. I, uh, <laughs> it, we stayed in the city. We moved to an area called Jefferson Park, which is like a little bit closer to O'Hare in comparison to where I was before. Um, but yeah, we've been there since January. It's been really, really exciting and and full of its own stress- stressors. And I mean, I don't know if y'all have ever owned homes before, but nope, <laughs> <laughs> not a Yo, chance. Did you? So did you find somebody you knew to take your lease? No, no. I, uh, That's insane. I, I know it was such a good deal, and um, it did go to somebody who hit me up on Instagram. They saw the post on Instagram and hit me up, um, and they were able to help get me out of that. We like we had just signed, like maybe like six months before we had just signed a two-year lease on our apartment that i'd been there but i'd been there for like 10 years right and um we wanted to lock in our lo- a lower price for the place so we signed this two-year two-year lease and then we brought the landlord over one day we're like hey so uh sorry <laughs> <laughs> you know also, of, of all my favorite places that i've ever i've ever been with you one is when i came to Chicago for I guess the second time uh and stayed with you in Humboldt Park and that was, that was the yes, first that- time I've ever seen someone hold a gun um <laughs> we went to uh we went to the grocery store during a tornado um I would say everybody won that night it was a good time I actually forgot about the tornado part but um that's becoming more of a regular occurrence around these parts is Man. Crazy wind weather. Fuck oh, you, the, I've been, I've been right? complaining about the wind. I mean, granted, it's I don't live in a city famous for it being windy, um, but the 
just one fucking day is all I want where I'm not chasing my hat down the street. Like, just one day. Cause there's, you gotta there's, get their hat, bro. There's no way to look cool with your hat, like, chasing your hat down the block. But no, it's just, yeah. like, there's always one rogue Why is your, gust. Honestly, the, you, what you, kind of you hat are you wearing? Are you wearing, yeah. are you wearing one of those hats that's, like, a, a fan around the top? <laughs> yeah, stop I, wearing I, your, like, Revolutionary War toque. <laughs> Listen, I wear, I wear my umbrella hat because it's funny, okay? And I'm not going to sacrifice. I'm not going to jeopardize my humor or me being me. <laughs> Just because of a little wind, okay? Yeah, my propeller hat stays on my head all the time. <laughs> well, that's because, but it's always spinning, though. It's going to take off. No, also, great. for context Damn. right now, we all look identical in this chat and right a, now. We're all famously known for looking like each other. Uh, so this is a little wild. And also, uh, Evan, right now, you're you're... You admitted to me, in confidence, I might add, that you don't own a microphone, so you're currently uh, raw-dogging it right now while assembling <laughs> records in your practice space. I, so. I, I definitely own microphones. I just don't have a thing set up for podcasting right now. So, um, Podcasting there, you is know, the future. No one listens to records anymore. <laughs> Let me tell you, I, when I turn the camera around and you see the wall of boxes behind me, you'll... You'll, I, I'm, I'm prone to agree with you. <laughs> I, we're, we're actually, uh, we're very excited. How many, how many records have you put out? Uh, I want to get into this a little further, but how many you put out on uh, the Storm Chasers label so far? What, what number release are you on? I'm, I'm up to, uh, well, the ones that have come out, I think we're up to number thirty-two. Okay. And, nice. Uh, but in terms of catalog numbers of stuff that isn't out, that's at the plant, I think we're up to like fifty-one. Wow. So do you know somebody? Is that how you're getting these done so quick? So we That's a great in, question. I was actually on my We live in the We live in the fine city of Chicago, Illinois, where we are uh the city is full of excellent resources and people who um have businesses that are suited to things like making albums and, and pressing records. Uh we own and operate a recording studio across town um in the Avondale neighborhood. And uh, that's how we've been able to a record everything ourselves. So we've been able to keep costs down with what we're able to make. And it's not just for us. So like we've done our records there, but so it's, um, you know, like we've done rap boys records there. What gives like bands from our circle come in and we all, we all make music there um, on the first floor of that building is a vinyl pressing plant called smash plastic and smash plastic has uh, been an excellent resource for the city of Chicago. They've been doing all the pressing for storm chasers, but they also do all, all the pressings now for drag city, numero international anthem, polyvinyl, Southern thrill jockey, uh, you know, Wilco. Um, basically if you are an artist or a label in the city of Chicago or the surrounding areas, they handle your vinyl manufacturing. Uh, and, that's wild. Um, and Evan, so they, I'm so glad you, you mentioned numero because I, I, uh, I tried to get Ken to come on the pod. Yeah. Uh, and he said something to the, cause I, I had emailed him previously about the, uh, the like physical release for the postmark stamps. And, yeah. and he, when I asked him to come on the pod, he said, I have little to no interest on discussing tree records releases. <laughs> and I was like, That's sick. That's I, fair. Totally fair. I like I want to talk I want to talk about bedhead, but really whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been it's been super, super cool. And they've they've been, you know, it's a small but mighty operation, but 
Um, they've allowed us to do the thing that we do, which is, you know, we're a lower lift, I think, in comparison to a lot of labels because we're not doing pressings of five to 10,000 LPs. You know, we're doing like runs of 300 or 500 usually. Um, and we do one thing a month. So as long as we hit our one thing a month, we're, we're good to go. Um, granted our lead times are a lot more than they used to be. When we started working with them, it was 12 weeks and now it's 36, but Um, but it, it's been, it's a really cool testament of a symbiotic relationship between city and, but between the city, honestly, you know, like they, they understand and they want to make sure they, their business alone is satisfied by what happens in the city of Chicago. And so they don't, they don't need to take on business from places like fucking Warner brothers or, you know, um, you know, they don't need to press Adele records or whatever. Like, yeah, that's like, cause that's the shit that's fucked up, you know, that pressing plants everywhere is, is the major label interest in selling like vanity LPs essentially, you know, percent. Yeah. And so they, they do our stuff like the, the records get pressed there. The artwork gets handled at a business that's literally right across the hall. And we can actually see the money that we're spending going directly into the local economy instead of, you know, getting outsourced to the Czech Republic or, you know, somewhere where we can't actually see the direct results. Like the person who is the pressing plant manager at smash plastic, is the fiance of my coworker at Reverb. And they're about to get, they're about to get married. And it's like, I know that, you know, I'm such a small cog in that wheel, but it's like, I can think about the money that I'm spending at this pressing plant in some way, shape or form going towards their wedding. You know, it's like, they, they have you to thank for meeting in general. I think (laughs) (laughs) you should get a, you should get a second meal at their wedding. As a thank you. I, I'm not, I don't even know if I'm invited, but the, that's, not the, that's not the point. It's the point that it's, it's. I think we just made it the point, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's cool to have something like that in our city, and it's it's uh, really exciting to see it work, and it's really exciting to see their business thrive. You know, when we when we started working with them, they had one press. Now they've got two, and they're about to get a third, and so it's like they're they're growing at a really great rate um the quality of work has been excellent and you know i i can drive over there and pick up my records the day they're ready and start shipping them immediately or just put them online that day and they're ready to go so that's cool yeah. we, don't, we don't have to push it up for pre-order and then be like well you gotta wait eight eight months or whatever. <laughs> i mean that drives so, me crazy with even like merch now like if you try to order anything through death wish it's like shirts will ship in 12 weeks. It's like, yo, I want this shirt now. <laughs> like, Dan, I'm not even going to like this just, band in 12 weeks. I just, I was going to say, I just had a question dawn on me. What are you ordering from Death Wish I think in, in 2022? Death Wish is distro. It's huge. They have so much stuff. Is it really? Yeah, I mainly yeah. just buy self-defense family shirts. So they're the only ones making good merch. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's maybe one day they'll get the... Uh, if you hate cops so much shirt uh back yeah, in stock. Cool. it's so yeah, good that but uh but yeah no i love we're we're uh evan and i were talking before we before andrew even showed up he was too busy being a oh, career man um but we're just talking about like pride in where you live and uh i mean we're, we're three jersey guys here a lot jersey centric pod um <laughs> only one of us uh 
still lives in New Jersey. Yeah, barely. Barely. You live in New York City, Junior. Still. I do not. I am not one of those you people. You absolutely do. There is nothing about Jersey City that makes me think wait, about wait, New Jersey. Wait, we there was actually the an article. Plates. There was an article regarding the St. Peter's uh, game. I forget what uh, what publication. If you're going to tell they, me that like Jersey no, they, City is like the capital. No, what? I, I grew up outside of Trenton. I know where the fucking no, no, capital know, of New Jersey is. I'm not is. talking about the literal cattle. <laughs> okay. If you're uh, going to tell uh, me that, like, Jersey City is like America's city. How about you wait for me? I, I, <laughs> I got your back. Oh, it's actually, I, I, Jersey City, actually, it's called the Golden Door to America, I believe. So, <laughs> yeah, Baltimore. Baltimore says the greatest city in the world on every park bench. By the way, it's just yeah. like every bodega has that's best that's coffee in the world that. sign. But yeah, I mean Next Ellis Island in Jersey City. Um, but, but no, uh, New Jersey was de- uh, Jersey City was described uh, when people were like trying to figure out where St. Peter's University was. It was described as a hard scrabble suburb of New York. <laughs> what? <laughs> which is hilarious but no i even... i yeah, don't i have no idea it's a, yeah. <laughs> jersey city is the sunday the sunday crossword of new york suburbs um that's, uh, that's how that that cherry, cherry hill is to philadelphia man i get it we're yeah. the hard scrabble, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're the hard scrabble suburb of philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> you know the, so many times people would say where did you grow up and i tell them you know, I in the Philly suburbs, and when they find out it was New Jersey, I get a lot of shit for that. And I'm like, and it's like I live. Um, we lived closer to Philadelphia than like people in like Willow Grove or right. Yeah, like, I like it took me. It took me 15 minutes to get to the city. It it probably took a lot longer than that to get out from the main. Oh, line, I mean, you know Northeast I mean? Philly isn't that close to Philly. <laughs> you know, like the area of Northeast Philly. It's uh, but yeah, it it's. Uh, back to back to like pride in where you are like it it's it's great to hear everything you know evan you're saying about the just so much stuff working within the community of chicago and working within with chicago companies who support themselves by doing things for other chicago you know people individuals companies things like that and i think it's like important like there's so much it's important to be proud of where you live or be proud of where you come from and I feel like the pandemic, so many... was a, the pandemic was a really big thing with that. I think it yeah. we, oh, yeah. became, we all became a little more focused on what we could do on a community level on a community basis to support each other instead of feeling like it was a, and I mean, I've always trying to try to try to tout this with music, but like the, the, you know, letting go of the essence, the feeling of competition and embracing more of the feeling of how can we work together? And if we are able to work together, how much more could we actually get done? And oh, absolutely. Um, and once the pandemic hit, it was like, everybody was just relying, not only, not only like were psyched to represent their town or represent their friends, but also like wanted to actually work together. It was like this, you know, just want for love and community and, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm just waxing poetic right now. You, where do you? So you mentioned competition, and I've always felt like that was such a stupid aspect of music in general, but like especially local independent music. Um, why do you think that is? Do you think it's just I want to be better than you, or is it like you know? Because because that could also be a motivator in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think it's I think it's envy and opportunity, and it, and it's short sightedness and a feeling like. Um, 
you know, like, and, I, and I'm guilty of this too in, in past eras and, and times in my career, if you want to call it that, like feeling like, you know, someone, you know, gets an opportunity that you really wish that you could have gotten. And then that rather than that steering the conversation towards, well, how can I be really excited to work with you on something? Or how can we figure out something that we could do also that turning into like, envy or jealousy or like, why did that person get that opportunity? Especially right. in a community level when you can like see how much people put in. And it's like, nobody's fault that someone who may work not as hard as you gets better opportunities than you. That's like, there. it's such a, it's such a random, you know, right. There's, it's a, there's a fallacy to think that like hard work equates to, you know, and also I mean, what like hard work in what way? Cause there's a lot of, there's an infinite realm of places that you can put attention to when you're in a band. I just, I just, uh, I, maybe I disagree with that. I think to a certain extent, I think hard work really does pay off, but I think there's an, there also is a feeling when you're young that if somebody, if things, if, if opportunity falls in someone else's lap and they, you feel slighted if they, if the person who got that opportunity wasn't working as hard to get it as maybe you've been trying to get it and then you didn't get it. And you're like, well, why didn't I get it? I'm working twice as hard as this person. And it's like, that's just a terrible way to look at it. Like opportunity can happen to anybody, you know, and sometimes it has nothing to do with hard work. Sometimes it just has something to do with like being a good person or being at the right place at the right time or meeting the right person at the right time. Or like, you know, so I think there is just a level of, uh, um, I think trying to just let go of that feeling of like, just because somebody's getting a great opportunity doesn't make the work, doesn't invalidate the work that someone else could be doing. You know, it's yeah. just maybe not the right time yet, or maybe they just haven't found themselves in the right opportunity yet, or maybe they are, their focus is on things like, why is someone getting this opportunity instead of like writing better songs or honing their craft a little more or taking the time to, to promote themselves a little differently, you know, like, um, you know, or it's just the, the name of the game in terms of the timing. Like, you know, I'm, I'm the first to understand and admit that in the year 2022, no one gives a flying fuck about what a 37 year old white guy with a beard has to say. And that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> I'm a hundred percent at peace with that as just for where we are in terms of a, right. a, a race and a generation and, a, and as humans and like what, you know, people are interested in experiencing and enjoying and like that where popular culture is right now is in no way does no way invalidate the art that I like to make or the, or the people that I like to represent or the stuff that we get to do. It's just a different time, you know, and like, right. that's cool. Like we're, we're off doing our own little thing and it's, it's sweet. You know, I'm, I like, we're able to self-sustain. We've got, you know, our lives are, are really good. All things considered. So um, so yeah, letting go of that. I mean, it's also, it's a youthful energy to feel like fired up about stuff. You know, oh, like that's yeah. something, Absolutely. that's something that young people feel. It's like you, you get to a certain age and you just say, you know, you, you, you're become more comfortable with yourself and what I'm you do. Still, right? I'm still waiting to get there. I, uh, I was stirring <laughs> up trouble on my local neighborhood Facebook group this morning. You <laughs> stirring up trouble so, everywhere. Honestly, you're, you're every chance starter. I get. Honestly, every chance I get. You know what it is? I think I like to see people a little uncomfortable. Yeah, you do. I think you definitely um, do. 
You're an like, edgelord, sort of, bro. Sort of, sort of as performance art, but I think more as like sort of as performance <laughs> art. There's a, I think when you when you make somebody uncomfortable by saying like the you know, just uh, like what's the what's the, the last thing you think I would ask you right now? Kind of question. Catch somebody off guard. How my mom is doing. <laughs> <laughs> I I hope I hope Denise is doing very very well. Uh, I, I you know I was going somewhere. Dan, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, <laughs> about that stupid soda you're drinking? <laughs> it's not good. I I got the Zevia Pounder because I had to yeah, buy I it. Told, it exists, so had to try it out. But yeah, Zevia sucks ass. I don't know. It yes. just tastes like so much stevia. But uh, I do have a scene report to. Uh, t- <laughs> That's what I've been waiting for. Uh, I, I I photographed a bar mitzvah recently, and that that's usually when I get hip to what the kids are listening to these days. And uh, okay, gotta say it's not great. <laughs> uh, the kids have latched on to pop punk, but in 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 like the Olivia Rodrigo machine gun kelly form of pop punk who i've been told are the the leaders of pop punk at the moment that's that's grammy winning shit right there oh yeah but uh and yeah that and and what was it they were playing oh the kids were going nuts for fallout boys uma thurman which is a you know stone cold classic but one thing i gotta say that stands true for as long as i can remember is uh, Cotton Eye Joe still reigns supreme? <laughs> Cotton Eye Joe got a similar reaction to hearing, you know, the Olivia Rodrigo song. Cotton Eye Joe's a fucking banger. Yeah. Cut, how can... <laughs> it's, it's just it's, when you, when it's you found said a that, new though, audience. I got, I got sort of excited. I was thinking about Cotton Eye Joe played by Reign Supreme. Oh, so... <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. But yeah, uh, so that that's been uh, last week we had the glass jaw scene report, and this week we had the bar mitzvah scene report. And gotta say, the the kids the kids love Machine Gun Kelly. That's for sure. Uh, Evan, how are your weekly bike rides going? We stopped doing them. Um, we uh, obviously in the winter time, it's not really a thing we can do. Sure. Um, last year, last we, we started that bike gang in the summer of 2020. I have to say that that was probably the best summer I've ever had. There Even, was an article like, about that too, right? Someone interviewed about that. We talked about, we got to talk about, I got to talk about it on talk house. And then, uh, there's a song on this record that I'm assembling right now. We, I, we wrote a song about it. Um, but so, yeah, we started in the, in the very early stages of quarantine. We were like, you know, obviously no one was able to hang out. It was just getting up on the summer, like, you know, March, April, I think we started in April and, um, you know, I was looking for a, w- a thing we could do that would be socially distant where we could go out on the weekends, like as if we were going to the bar. So we started meeting up on Fridays at like nine or 10 PM and the crew, the original crew was like five people. We rode out to, uh, Wrigley. Um, we rode out to Wrigley field, which was like to see that on a Friday night with no one oh, around. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. No cars, no people, no lights, like completely gone, like void of anything. And then we're able to ride from there up the Magnificent Mile with no traffic, like yeah. a completely like ghost town Magnificent Mile on a Friday night at 10 p.m. all the way up to the art museum and then ride back. We have this great first ride. So we started, you know, 
five, the original five started telling more people. And then at one point, I think the largest ride we did was something like 25 people. Um, and that was sort of in the middle of the summer. And we started doing all sorts of shit. We rode up to the John Hughes houses. We rode out to Oak Park. We did like, at one point we did a Hyde Park ride that was like, you know, far, far South side Chicago it was like a 45 mile ride. Um, we started getting, we, at one point we rode on the, uh, lower Wacker drive, which is like, you know, the scene in the dark night where they're like underground and they're yeah. riding, we rode yeah. down there, which wow. is usually like, you could never ride your bicycle down there any other time ever in history. You know, like it's unbelievably dangerous to be down there. And we were like riding our bicycles. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so we had this whole incredible summer and, um, you know, we meant to kickstart it again, that this summer after that. And then, you know, as, as restrictions started to loosen up and the vaccine started to come out, it, it got a little harder to motivate people to start doing bike rides again. And, um, so we did a few rides last summer. It didn't really go that we, we didn't really do a ton of them. Um, but the thing is we've been talking about doing it again this summer because everybody started moving further West. Uh, like our whole crew started, started moving out to like Jeff park, Portage park, Chicago. And so I think this summer we're, we actually all really miss it. And, um, and so I think we're going to try to redo it again, um, which I hope to. I mean, it's it's so much better than going to a bar. We like fill our bags full of beer and like go out in the middle of the woods or go ride to some cool location and then drink beers there and hang out and actually get to talk and enjoy each other's company. That's like, sick. Be, being in a loud ass fucking bar on a Friday, like worried about if you're going to get sick or not or, you know, I don't know. It's it's just a, a really nice vibe. And I appreciate you asking about it. Thank you. The, the, fucking midnight marauders man i, I think we're going to change our name to the portage pisses now that we're <laughs> i i miss chicago man i haven't been out there in in since like fall 2015 i guess it was and for a minute, about, yeah yeah when i was on a i took a road trip uh with the, with the girl i barely knew at the time <laughs> who was relocating <laughs> to uh to oregon but we stayed at someone's house i forget where it might have been like wicker park area but we ended up going out to a bar and like hanging out with uh the the late singer of power trip which was wild oh right it was yeah. like yeah it was during like the short window that riley was living in chicago and it was it was pretty, pretty it was cool <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, and some guy was talking to us about Dio, or he's talking to us about Danzig in like some Polish bar, wearing like a Dickies jumpsuit with an HVAC patch on the back, and you know bought us bought us Malort, which I enjoy. Yeah. What would yeah. you take on Malort? Tastes like dog shit. <laughs> I, I kind of love it. I'm I'm, I'm kind of into I'm, it. Don't get me wrong. I'm I'm not above it. I you know someone <laughs> hands me a shot, I take it. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's not the first thing I go for. I'm usually it's a shot of tequila kind of guy. Okay. Yeah. Are they? Um, uh, which records are you so, packing at the moment? Uh, these are. Uh, so we just released a into it over. It released a split with the band Hikes. Oh um, yeah. Okay. So I thought that that's the uh, that's the one. The photo uh, on the cover was taken by former guest, friend of the pod, Mitchell Wojcik. Yeah. So Mitch shot these photos. Uh, Chris Long, who's the drummer of Hikes, is a incredible pottery maker. Um, and so Chris made a couple pieces of pottery that Mitch shot some really excellent photography of. And See, um, we asked him the actual, <laughs> we asked him what the, um, yeah, he said like importance it was of a the dish. Yeah. I was it like, is. what, what is this? And he's like, oh, it's a dish. We didn't give us any backstory of why the dish was to be photographed or it's importance. Yeah, I mean, I, well, sure. So I, you know, when we were talking about what, what I, when I was thinking about what I wanted the art to be, I really, um, 
I was just I'm I'm in love with the with the pottery stuff that Chris makes. Yeah, um, well, it all me. makes more sense now. <laughs> There's some context. It makes more like fine art than anything you would ever like. You would never eat off of the stuff that he makes. Like it's okay. it's stuff that you present in your home. And but so challenge yeah. accepted. <laughs> yeah, could eat off. Uh, I don't know how. I mean, I'm sure it's, it can do that. Yeah, uh, I mean, you could eat off have, the frisbee, you know. Play. <laughs> but uh but yeah so he shot the photos for this it came out great um you know and they're about to go out on tour with the band covet uh and we're then right after they get home we're about to go out on tour with uh pool kids so this will be the first record i think storm chasers has done since we really started you know doing our subscription service and the, and the label a little more prominently where we can actually like tour on the record oh that's um, awesome yeah the um, um so speaking well, of touring actually that <laughs> there's been a lot of uh i guess the internet chatter about the ethics not so much the ethics but the the way people tour and what is to be expected of you know the sacrifices touring musicians make and what should be deemed accept- acceptable as living standards uh so sure. i guess the big thing that came out recently uh a band wednesday made a, a tweet that went pretty viral at least in like the music side of twitter regarding their expenses and like what it cost for them to get to south by southwest yeah and... it, was, it was their it was their the amount of time they were there the costs that were accrued for the amount of time they were there versus the amount of money that were, they were being paid yeah and was something like south by southwest worth it was the was kind of what i took from it and that may, yeah. or may not be may not may or may not be what their intention was and i i would i would hesitate to say that i could understand what the intention was of that post that being said i completely agreed with it um which uh you know i'll, I'll, you know, I'll let you finish you, you i'm giving uh, well i guess i guess what dan's trying to say here is that the singer for the acacia strain does not agree with you wait thoughts i didn't, I didn't even <laughs> see that far <laughs> I told you. I I, uh, I somebody into... somebody was like sleep in the van oh, and, and that they was had him? a blue check mark. I was like, ooh, who's this? I funny enough, I actually bumped into the Acacia Strains tour van once in the the Hamilton, New Jersey Walmart parking lot. And I knew them from when I was living in Western Massachusetts. <laughs> but um the yeah no it well i just know evan famously famously you uh you toured around in was that a dodge intrepid or a dodge stratus back in the day it was a dodge intrepid it was a 1994 dodge intrepid yeah um, handed down to me from my grandmother uh i never once slept in the car um that being said it was it was rare that i would get hotels around that time mm-hmm. um and i slept in some very sketchy and precarious situations and it's actually oh, funny because that was one of the things that i brought up in in i didn't i didn't reference their post directly but when that shit was going on you know i was able to it kind of got me thinking about all the really terrible sleeping situations i've ever been in oh absolutely and, uh, everything from like sleeping in a ditch to sleeping in the rain to you know like it's just um in my opinion uh i mean dude you're also talking to somebody who stopped touring because it wasn't lucrative like oh yeah you know like i stopped well, that's why i figured I was it was interesting to to bring up because I, I, all three of us have had i'm sure different touring experiences you know yeah at, at a certain point at a certain point in your life i feel or not yours but maybe i feel like most musicians you know 
see or have heard stories of how people do it. And they're excited about that kind of like roughing it and doing it. You know, it's like a rite of passage in some way, which I, I kind of think is a little bit of bullshit. I don't, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's bullshit to want to experience that rite of passage. I think it's bullshit though. If someone were to say that someone else needs to experience that rite of passage, like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta fucking rough it out. That's what we all did. Like that's bullshit. It's like that Um, same mentality of like, I don't think, Student debt should be canceled because I paid mine. You know, <laughs> it's like it's, like, it's, it's bullshit. I I don't subscribe to that. Um, I also, you know, I wish I was in a situation when I was touring, when I was really going for it, that I was in a more fortunate position financially to be able to afford hotels and stuff like that. But I couldn't, and the want and desire to be on the road outweighed my want and desire for a lot of times a good night's sleep, a comfortable so, life. <laughs> said now that i'm you know i'm I'm an older man i I have no interest in being on the road unless it's a a more comfortable situation not just for me but for the people that i'm with you know and so um so you know for that for that post and for the attitude behind it and and the sentiment behind it i mean i also think south by southwest is an incredibly unlucrative situation for any band it's i think south by southwest is a complete fucking waste of time for everybody um but you know, it's hard out there, you know, and, and, and to see people cope with the, with the challenges and the, and the hardship and the, and the mental decathlon that is being on the road is like that sentiment makes sense to me, that attitude and that feeling of like helplessness and being broken and not understanding why musicians and artists can't make more money is is hard. I get it. Yeah. I want every artist in the world to make as much money as possible. If if all of us could just survive making art, that would be like a beautiful utopia of, of a society. As <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like I when people I remember... say, like, when people ask you when people ask you what your dream job is, like nobody dreams of labor. Nobody dreams yeah. of going to work. That isn't a dream for people. Well, you know, like that. That's something that falls under uh you know that whole weird skewed perception of artists musicians photographers things like that where because i know it's it's a it's a thing in the photo industry too of just like fighting for a fucking living wage or like fighting for a proper payment on a job or or you know and because it's this weird mentality that people hold of oh well you should feel lucky to be able to get paid to do what you love which is obviously true. I'm very fortunate to be able to make a living off photography and that, you know, that doesn't go over my head that I get to click a shutter for a living, but that's also, just that's because, also not to say that there aren't, there aren't artists, musicians or photographers who don't just fucking suck. Oh, like, I've, <laughs> met, a, I've <laughs> met a ton of like wedding videographers and stuff that I've worked with alongside. And they're like, they're just like miserable the entire time. It's like, really? Like, yeah, like you, they don't you like, it. you yeah. really hate being here. Like, but yeah, it's not lost on me that I'm I'm fortunate for what it does, but it, that you know because you like you're not being miserable shouldn't be a pay cut, you know. <laughs> like happiness should not dictate accepting lower payments, you know. And you know, same and with positions and. I there shouldn't be an entry fee for anything. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. Said, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have budgeted my tour the same way. And that's, but the, I don't think that them budgeting their tour the way they did and then being upset at the lack of, you know, you're at this music festival in Austin where there's just so much fucking money flying around. There's oh, so yeah. much money flying. 
Oh, well, and, the, there's like it's like a joke of like the, then, the corporate the whole, tent activations. They're like, dude, come the hang whole, out at the, the Coinbase Doritos Lacoste. Is predicated on on corporate sponsorship, and then when it comes to the artists, who are literally the only reason that festival exists, exactly. And how many of their showcases aren't paying the bands? And you're like, dude, there is no South by Southwest if there's no bands here. Well, like, it's, yeah, because it's it's, it's you know, like. It's it's so, just like just like artistry and like photography. It's it's like oh well, you're paying for exposure to all the all the record label scouts out there. You're yeah, you're paying so, to get in front of them, and it's like that's but that such bullshit. That can't possibly still exist. No, no because doesn't. the internet exists. Like the idea of yeah. like I mean, CMJ doesn't even exist anymore, and that was like one of the biggest you know places of show like actual industry showcases. And, and, and CMJ actually paid. You actually got paid. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, there were free showcases too that you could elect to do, but like, if you, you know, most of the stuff that was like sponsored by CMJ, like bands got paid, bands got paid well. Well, I think I read somewhere South by, you can, you have the option to be paid, which is a hundred dollars per solo musician or two fifty per band, or you can trade that for access to other concerts and events during the week. That so wasn't you, true in my experience, but maybe they've changed that. Yeah, that. apparently you can you can opt to get paid, you know, what's literally no amount of money, really, in exchange for wristbands. Yeah, that's fucking dumb. Um, Evan, um, let me ask you a question um, <laughs> further. Listen, is Fest ethical? I think Fest is ethical. But Fest is a different thing. You don't go to South by Southwest and play maybe the most fun set of your life. You know, True. like there are fest, there are sets at fest that are like maybe the best sets you've ever played, yeah. you know, like to the crowd that like only wants to see you and not just wants to see you, but wants to go fucking crazy while they see. You. And so there's that trade-off. There's also the trade-off that they do they do really take care of their bands in some really excellent ways. You know, like the, the, you're fed, you're fed, you get drunk, you get to see all your friends. It's like, it's a way different thing. And you don't even need to participate in the festival if you don't want to, you know, like I, I, I think the fest in Gainesville is a completely different, a completely different situation. And I also, uh, my experiences there have also been completely different, both financially and like holistically, you know, like, um, also way easier to get to Gainesville than it is to get to Austin. True. I am. Um, um, I, I always liked just standing outside of like Volta coffee and yeah. seeing every single person, you know, <laughs> ever, you know, it's just a great vibe. It's great energy. Yeah. You know, that makes a big difference. Food. You know, like it doesn't feel corporate. It doesn't feel like, like it, like th- that, maybe that's the bigger issue that I'm getting with South by Southwest is that South by Southwest feels so unbelievably corporate, yet there's no money to go around. Whereas yeah. like the best doesn't feel corporate at all. It just feels like very scrappy still. It's very loose. It's very like, you can tell they're like just barely hanging on. <laughs> you know, it, honestly, the amount of times that I would uh, not volunteer, but they, they pay their volunteers. Um, you know, like what if we would play, I would like, stage manage half a day or something yeah. just you know for whatever and uh and when you look behind that curtain like t- tony does an amazing job uh but when you look behind that curtain there's like 
there's a lot of people winging it back there. <laughs> and like it, it, it works because there are so many people dedicated so, so having a good time. Yeah. And I don't even know if nobody there was like a major to, catastrophe. A ruin. Like if you were at fest and you were an asshole, you would be like, people would be furious. Um, yeah. Evan, did I ever tell you about the worst fest set I ever saw? It no. was it was a day you played. Um, <laughs> it was at it was at eight seconds. I was working, I was working stage that day, and Have Mercy was playing. Um, apparently the 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 lighting guy had gotten so drunk and so angry that he had to listen to that music all day <laughs> that he turned on all the stage lights on strobe and walked out, <laughs> and so. Have Mercy's trying to play with their eyes closed. <laughs> and, and we're trying to figure out how to turn. At one point, I think we just turned off all the lights, but it was the most. <laughs> I've, every time I see those guys around Baltimore, I'm like, I want to go up well, and be like, hey, I saw that happen. I saw you <laughs> suffer. I'm sorry. Well, so that that actually is like a really funny thing, though. So a lot of the people who were reacting to... Uh, the Wednesday post and bringing up all the other stuff that it's all under this weird guise of DIY and doing it yourself, which I think all of us have proven you can be DIY and still be ethical. Not at the, you can be DIY and not at the detriment of your mental health or physical. Yeah. Yeah. And, but the thing is, it's like, Oh, like DIY also means you need to like take, you know, you need to sacrifice certain things or you need to, you you know, take the burden on yourself. And, and cause honestly, like looking at that tweet originally, I saw that they lost nine, they were like negative $93. And I was like, that's it, you know? (laughs) And that's like a terrible perspective to have, but being in that world for, you know, as long as I was, it you know i was like oh they they didn't lose hundreds of dollars oh man but, i wish there were there were tours in the in the later half of my like more active career where i wish the overall losses was only 93 dollars yeah. you know like yeah 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 it's actually yeah. I, I felt like moving out of diy was where i actually started to lose money on art yeah oh like, yeah because because you're starting to eat, there's more people with the hand in the pot you know but that's yeah, the you thing to, like fest, spend money to lose yeah. exactly and, and yeah, fast, but don't but don't those people serve a, a purpose yeah they do it's just when at some point at some point there's like i feel like at some point there's an echelon that as an artist you need to kind of cross and if the if the run rate of success of your project is not equal to the run rate at which you need to spend money to get it maybe a nicer van or hire more crew or get things like a manager or a booking agent or a business manager, or then LLC yourself at some point, because at some point you're bringing in enough money where you need to like actually report that properly to the government. Right. So, you know, at, at some point one can, one can, the run rate of one can begin to outweigh the run rate of another. And that's where you see a lot of mid-level bands get to a certain point and then change careers or just stop. Right. You know, or, you know, and like there's, there's a turning point. You can see it for a lot of artists and some people are able to, to excel beyond it. And usually the ones that are able to excel beyond it are people that have multiple facets of their artistic personality, whether they're also like illustrators or graphic designers or writers, or, you know, um, you know, have other things that aren't just music that they can use as a tertiary vehicle to assist yeah. toward their artistic. Right. It, it's, um, it's really funny how that works. Cause like, I've looked into that, um, 
I don't know, Evan, if you've kept up, but I make a lot of like zines and things on different photo projects here and there that I, you know, self-published, self-fund. I like rarely do pre like pre-orders. That always like rubs me the wrong way. I never do a pre-order yeah. unless like the product is already on its way, you know, yeah. and it's like already I, been approved because I don't want to receive it and be like, oh shit, this is all fucked up, and then have people wait like another you know four months or something for production to go back in so i always have this weird ethical thing like um of just if you want something to exist you find a way to make it exist you know and then if people dig it and you make your money back or you even make a profit it's cool but like i want these books to exist so i make them and if i break even that fucking rips um but i was looking into like what it goes into actually making a published book like a like a proper coffee table style book and what <laughs> actually and and book publishers actually operate very similar to like how record labels work in the sense of you know giving you an advance and you know sometimes you want certain things like if you want oh I want gold you know just like gold embossing on the cover or something or some extra touch a lot of that time that comes out of the artist's pocket to pay for it becomes out, it comes out of the recoup for that so like yeah yeah but there's there's the record, times the like, record business is is the record business is a fucking is a is a joke as far mm -hmm. as i'm concerned like and that's not to say that i haven't had great relationships with record labels like someone like fred at triple crown has been nothing but unbelievable to me he's been a great fucking dude i love working with them i love the albums that i made but there are some things that i've done where, where i will never see dollar one ever yeah. in my lifetime like ever you know, like standards, I will never see a single $1 from. And I am unbelievably grateful for the experience that I had making that record and being yeah. able to, you know, go to, with Josh. I had this um, unbelievable experience with Josh. We went to this cabin. We wrote this thing in Vermont. We, we came out of our budget. Then we went to fucking Tiny Telephone for a month and got to make this record to tape with John Vanderslice. And oh, go my on God. Tiny Telephone. Record. I just listened to the uh, Keeping oh, yeah. the Dream Alive. It's so fucking good. Dude. And so... Uh, um, right, so, like life-changing, transformative experiences that I will carry with me for the rest of my existence. Yeah, I will never, I will never see dollar one from them. Yeah, and, and so, I, uh, yeah, thinking about that too, even whereas, just like, whereas this, this thing we made in our in our space, we pressed with our own money. Uh huh. We we gave hikes hikes keeps one hundred percent of their digital. We don't touch it. And this has been out for what day is today? The fifth. Yeah. Today's the fifth, right? This has been out for four days. We're already recouped. That's that's so, fucking sick. Yeah. You know, and it's so it's like it the music business is is really hard to succeed at for so many yeah. reasons. And going back to the feeling of like, yeah, there's all these hands in the pocket, there's all this recoupable stuff. It's it's um, you know, and like a record like figure, for example. You know, like I had this vision of we'd spent years on that record. We wrote, you know, took like three years to write it, had this crazy layout idea that I wanted. I just had this vision for how I wanted to see that record look. I could have never afforded to press that record the way that I wanted to see it get made. That being said, we didn't ask for, I had no recording budget for that. We made the whole thing ourselves, paid for all out of pocket. When we approached Triple Crown with it, we didn't want any money. We just wanted to see the physical version exist. Yep. Um, and he made, Fred was able to make it happen. We worked out a very artist friendly deal in terms of just the physical license on that record. And I'm able to see a return on that yeah. already, which is yeah. fabulous. And yeah. it's like, so to me, and then I have friends 
you know, we, I'm sure we all do. We've gotten massive recording advances and they, you know, they use that to, to make a record and they, and a lot of those people will never get paid for their record either. Right. Like, yeah. So I was even going to so say it, for, it, for standards, how- even just pressing, uh, or not pressing, but like in the album art, like that had a, a die cut cover with a big booklet and like, I'm sure the, the label probably push back on a lot of that, right? In terms of just no, what it actually, I I wanted to keep it more low profile, and Triple Crown really wanted to do something fun with with the packaging. But and at that point, I'd kind of I'd set a precedent with intersections that the packaging I would do, and I'd still have to, I still low key have that in my head that like mm-hmm. if we're gonna release something, it needs to look and feel a certain way. There's a branding involved that like that Intuit Over it specifically has that of just a level of. Uh, what I would deem, I mean, maybe someone else wouldn't, but I at least deem it as like class in terms of how I want something to look and feel and present. I want, I want people to like take their record out of the sleeve yeah. and feel like part of like an an experience. I, I totally you know? understand so, that because a record is a luxury product, like more so now than ever that streaming exists. Yeah. So 100%. like it has to be like an art piece, you know? And that's how I want it to be. That's how I've always viewed it. And like, I I also have no interest in merch. I have zero interest in making merch. And that doesn't mean that I won't again or may not sometimes, but it's like, I am not a t-shirt company. I am not a merch business. Like I'm not, I'm not a clothing brand, right? I'm an, I'm a musician. And so like, this is the, this is the purest representation of my art. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. how can I, make, you know, like, so I, I don't know even know what I'm getting at now. <laughs> I mean, I will tell you, I used to have an Intuit Everett shirt that had a was a it was a navy shirt with like an orange print of a cat on it. Yeah, yeah, it was my and uh, and I I miss that shirt every day. So if you wanted to reprint just one of those, <laughs> get the, get or the just send me or just send out. me the file, just send me the file, and I'll. Uh, I guess I guess maybe what I was getting at though, to your point about the zine, Stan, is that is that the tools exist now in the in the world for artists to be able to take complete control of their art, both physically and digitally. Yeah. And um, the resources, the, 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 the learning experiences, the um, they're all available for people. It's kind of like open source to like learn how to press your own records. Yeah. If this startup capital is there, I encourage any artist to press their own music and try to move away from the record industry um I, let me ask you guys a question when was the last time you purchased a record online and you bought that record because of the label that put it out uh, <laughs> great question <laughs> it's been a, it's been a very very long time you yeah, know and, and that's, not to say, that's not to say that doesn't happen like there are there is like a level of credibility that a certain record label could apply to a, to a band but it's like if you find a band and you like it you don't care what label put it out yeah but I'm also buying music different. Like, unfortunately, and Evan, I live four blocks away from Celebrated Summer. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I should be supporting the one of the best record stores in the country. Um, I just don't have time. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't want it. it it's just not a part of. You know, I have a kid. I can't go to the record <laughs> store as much as I want. I mean, I and like. Uh, and so I just, I don't, I don't hold things before purchasing them now, which is, I guess that's the difference, right? I I guess the point I'm trying to make is that there's nothing that a record label could do for an artist that an oh, artist yeah. can't do for themselves. Yeah. And then that maybe- totally makes, cause there, there was a time where people, you know, a record would have a, uh, you know, a record label rather would have a certain 
cachet to like oh if they it's like the stamp of approval on a band and they're putting out stuff in a very specific type of music i mean a great example would be like you know top shelf you know in that run of like early 2010s just like everything they put out fit a late like you know fit a a certain die that was cast you know you also get you also become associated with the team you become associated with a with a genre or you become associated with kind of like a crew or a collective and it's like but i empower i empower artists if anyone's listening to this to like form their own team or form their own collective or community like there's there's a way to do this where you don't need to have but you can you can elect to have people's hands in your pockets based on the work that you may or may not want to do, or you can find people that you can hire specifically for certain jobs that you may not know how to do, or may, you know, want to be taught how to do, but you, you will like signing an, signing an album deal, a record label will take arguably, let's just speak broadly a little bit for a second. A record label could take something upwards of 50% of your digital catalog for minimum 10 year term, but usually like, in perpetuity right and they're going to market and promote your record for approximately three to six months so you get three to six months of like really dedicated maybe maybe really dedicated but probably let's just give them the benefit of the doubt really dedicated legwork on your release and then they're not talking about your record anymore they're on to the next thing yeah meanwhile they're still collecting on your catalog half of it yeah and they're not doing any of the work anymore (laughs) in perpetuity yeah like yeah. they may not even press your record anymore it may remain out of print for years and they're still collecting that money and like yeah. unless you're getting a big advance unless you're getting a, a budget to make your album like like i know there are diy diy record labels out there who are taking people's records who they didn't even front them a dime and are collecting on 50 percent of their digital world that's wild and when you begin to self-release your records digitally you realize just how much money you you stand to actually make yeah. from just your digital digital rights alone keeping 100 percent of your digital rights you know like 600 isn't 600 uh, i'm sorry 300 isn't a ton of money but when that's 50 percent of 600 and you'd be seeing 600 once a quarter that really begins to add up yeah absolutely. you know like and and that's for like that's for like 2000 monthly listeners at like maybe 25, 30,000 streams. That's like not even a shitload of like traction on your release. I know this because that's where couplets at. And that's roughly what our quarterly digital statements are. <laughs> and so like, I like you're going to give, you're going to give someone who's put in six, like maybe three to six months of work, 50% of that money for forever, for as long yeah, as you live forever. The record is what is what you have to, when you're dead and gone and, and ashes in the fucking ocean. Like, the record is what continues to live on. Yeah. Well, we 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 do have to get to the record at some point that we're talking about. This is incredible. <laughs> but no, that that the last thing I'll touch on about um that stuff too is like because when I was looking into like oh uh, I was I was dating a woman who worked in the book industry and she was like well what is your reasoning for wanting to do a book like beyond what you're already making and I was like well I don't know expanding my audience beyond what I already have you know getting it in the hands of other people who don't necessarily know who i am right and the industry doesn't work like that anymore like they they give people book deals based on they're like already in you know already followers that they already have you know there there's very little interest in expanding someone's reach anymore they want the safe money where this person already has let's say twenty thousand followers on instagram 
that's a yeah. safe bet. Let's say two percent of those people buy books. Like we'll you know we'll print you know a thousand books and they'll sell out. You know, great point. I mean, it's there's just a lack of. I feel it's harder and harder to develop artists these days. It, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I don't think I don't think labels have an easy job either. Like it's it's a crapshoot. Who knows what's gonna fucking hit and what doesn't. And so, yeah. but but I think that also makes the point for like if you're willing to put in the work or if you're willing to like make a few phone calls and like, and negotiate some deals on your own, you know, like it's the ends don't justify the means. It makes more sense to own your own, to own your own thing and work, yeah. work harder on it. And Absolutely. then it may get to a point where you do, where you do want to tap into a new echelon or a new audience. And then maybe working with a label does make sense. Or maybe you just don't want to have to think about fucking coordinating your, uh, your, release with like facebook advertising and all this bullshit that like but that like at some point maybe you want to kind of invest in you're unsure how and it's like then maybe you want that capital from somebody else like let somebody else be on the hook for it or maybe you just don't give a shit at all you just don't want to deal with it you just want to put records out and have somebody else cover it like yeah i think there's an argument for both but like if you're trying to fucking make as much money as you can from your art self-release it man see yeah. way more more of a return yeah. the real diy the real DIY. <laughs> so uh, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to to talk about the the record we came here to talk about. What do you What do you think, Andrew? Um, do you have yeah. a, Do you have a fun transition for us? No, I because I for the past ten minutes I've been trying to be like, man, I just like to sit there and let the record play, <laughs> <laughs> and I couldn't get a word in edgewise with used to so. I just did it. Um, Evan, the whole reason I feel like we're talking about this is because you just did a couple of shows with Mock Orange. Um, we're talking how about were those shows? Mock Orange, I, Record Play. I had a, yeah, so today we're going to be talking about the, the Record Play, uh, which is one of my favorite albums ever, a very transformative record uh, by the band Mock Orange. Um, I had a realization, um, you know, we, we asked them to play those shows. I'm at a point now with Intuit Over It where if I'm going to perform live, I want it to be either a family affair of some kind like bands bands and people that i really love and care about people that i'm close with that i like enjoy the company of and or bands that i like adore you know just absolutely love um we didn't i met mock orange this year at fest i think for the first time officially and this is after we'd had the shows already lined up but they were super uh you know gracious and um excited to play and when we met we really hit it off which was super cool it's so awesome when you like run into a band um it's so awesome a when you run into a band and you can just like immediately get along and just talk about st the same thing and you know uh be excited to hang out with each other and just have a really good energy but it's more so when you meet a band that you really admire and you immediately can fall into those those comfort zones too so um for us we're all really really big fans i've been a fan of that band since i was a teenager um it i didn't tell them this until we did the shows together actually until the second night but i would be hard pressed to believe that there would be the progress or into it over it without them existing um they were a really transformative band for me in my teenage years but seeing them play I've seen them play more this year than I've ever seen them play year over year ever. And they may actually be my favorite band. I actually think for like, they have this huge catalog, this enormous catalog of records that all sound a little different. Like they're all right. a little all over the place in a way that, but they've been a band for 30 years. This year's their 30th year as a band. And, wild. and so to think about a band with longevity like that, that has a catalog like they do, 
where I can't think of a single song that I don't like. And then to watch them play and play new stuff. They did the same thing we did. They did two different sets night over night. They didn't play any of the same songs. And um, to see them play this wide breadth of, of music from all these different records and every single song just feel like totally blown away. Um, they're one of those bands that, at least for me, watching them play music makes me want to play music, which I can't think of a better compliment to give a band that be like watching you play, watching you play guitar makes me want to pick up a guitar. Yeah. Like what better compliment could you give an artist that like inspire me to play, you know? So, um, you know, they took us to school and they were fucking unbelievable. And, uh, and I love this. This was like the first record of theirs that I like just absolutely fell in love with as a teenager. Um, I don't remember how I found it. It was probably, either in the tunes use cds bin in in marlton or at, <laughs> tunes uh, has come up a lot or, on this podcast <laughs> or or on like or on like limewire or fucking audio galaxy or some shit back in the day <laughs> you know i am um, the record play was the first record by mock orange i heard um and i had put i had put touch tone bell on a mix for a girl without knowing anything about the band and as soon as I burned that copy, I forgot what the band was called. And it took years for me to finally, I was cruising, um, the lobster records web store <laughs> and found the copy and bought it without realizing that it was like, had been out of print for the longest time. Yeah. Um, but you know, I listening to it back this week, um, it became really apparent to me that they get lumped in with absolutely the wrong bands. I, I, to me, the closest comparison that I could ever draw was Braid. Right. That always felt like the most apt, but they had this different thing about them. Like they're they're totally different. No shade on Braid because Braid's like a top five band for me as well. 100%. But like, but Mock Orange are better players. And like, there's something so intricate and detailed about every single thing they're doing. Like, it's so tricky and so challenging and such like a musician's band. And, and on first listen, you don't pick it up. Like you can't tell how quite technical and fucked up some of that shit is, especially the newer records. Like from mine is not brain on a lot of those records have this kind of like Americana kind of like indie country feel. But if you're right. really listening to the guitars and the interplay and what they're playing it is bananas, like the shit that they are doing and performing and singing at the tightness that they're doing it with the tones that they have as they're doing it. It's like, really shocking how how good of players they are and how they've never gotten credit for that i don't think uh, um when we uh i went with friend of the pod friend of uh friend life and uh storm chasers artist uh rob wilcox we went to go <laughs> see when they did the um the uh what was that other the uh and sixes yeah, yeah, yeah. I keep wanting to say eyes and nines, but that is definitely not that band. Um, but when we went to go see that band, we like screamed for Heath. Oh, Heath! Like outrageous. He came. He he came down. He thought we were fucking with him, you know. And I, I you know, Rob, like I guess knew them, but I, it was like I've never seen somebody like carry a band and yet also like be just such he's just such a player They're he's so such hard. a player and he plays in a way that's technical but also 
fits the necessity of the song. It like makes the song transcend. It's flashy, but it isn't flashy. Hundred like, percent. You you would never notice if you weren't really watching. And right. and I always used to uh, me and and Josh Sparks used to say this too, and I completely agree with him. He was the one who coined this this term, and I I carry it with me as some a way to describe the way that he plays. But watching him play the drums is like watching a waterfall. Like it just feels so effortless and just very like like natural like what you're what you're watching feels exactly like what it should be doing yep and but it's just utter utter effortless beauty like everything he's doing is just so perfect Um, you know the other the other drummer that gives me that same feel is uh is bill kuhn from uh rana maria yeah possibly the most just watching him play is just it's like yeah like a waterfall like like leaves blowing off a tree yeah. the, his his limbs are his limbs are longer than they should be cuz yeah. he's a tall ass so guy tall, yeah just um, unbelievable playing but you know there's there's I, what i always appreciated about those records and it was a thing that i really took with me through the progress and i didn't really get to execute it as well with the progress but like when we started stay ahead of the weather when we were making proper when we were doing um the koji split for example like that kind of era of into it over it when i could really kind of own a sound for myself which is still just biting off of of artists like my orange the the thought of making something that's incredibly tricky without it sounding incredibly tricky like if you were a general listener you could really understand and appreciate the song but if you were a musician you knew exactly how fucked up that shit was and that was that was always that's always been the guiding force for me in any music that i've ever made is like i want people who are my who are my peers who are musicians to understand how challenging this shit is while the average listener would never have an idea like they would never you are you know it's funny you should say that too you're the first person that i've ever seen on stage like tell the audience how hard things are to play mid song. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't remember what show it was, but I, I think you were playing right at right and like finished and you were like, God, it's fucking hard. God, that's fucking hard. And I was like, Jesus Christ. All right, man. I mean, that's a great player. Leave that, it alone. That reminds me. I mean, famously Tom, uh, on the Mark, Tom and Travis show, the blink Two record, he tells everyone to shut up before he plays. What's my age again? Because he said it's a really hard song. So that's what I think of when people, so you're, you're Tom, you're like Tom DeLong. You just derailed that. I know. Um. Well, I've just been, I've just been waiting for a moment to talk. You two jokers. No, this, this is, this falls in that same sphere of last week's episode with hot rod circuit of a band that has always been in the periphery of the things I listened to, but never came across my plate until the podcast. And I had a hard time listening to this because every time I open my phone, I keep just wanting to play the Hot Rod Circuit record. It's so fucking good. Oh, did, but, did someone tell you, like, sorry about tomorrow or something for the first yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron from Uncle Ron's Candle Company uh, had us listen to that. And this this was not what I expected. I always expected – I always thought of them as just, like, a punk band. I guess I kind of m- – mix them in with like agent orange you know being like a more straightforward punk band but i i now i hear this in so many of the bands i was listening to you know like uh it reminded me of like you know evan your music um it reminded me of like colossal for sure yeah oh for sure uh and then like every even bands like everyone everywhere uh similar stuff a lot from them there's actually a tune on uh there's a tune on the second Everyone Everywhere full length that I think directly bites the song One Way Letter. Yeah. Uh, 
which is, and I love that. I mean, one way letters is my, is my favorite tune on, on the record play. And, uh, and so when I remember hearing that second everyone everywhere record and, and picking up what sounded like to me a reference or, or, a uh, kind of a shout out to that tune yeah. and being like, hell, hell well, fucking yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's, so, it's, it's so funny because like a lot of these things, like I say this like almost every episode, but like this podcast really opens my eyes to a lot of different things. And like the, and like this record was kind of like the missing link between a lot of the stuff I listened to, which is like really fucking cool to find. Because yeah. it's like, oh, like I understand where this fits in now. Like this is the missing piece that everything is surrounded by, you know. Yeah. And and, uh, it was, and it was made in it was made in like 1997. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it's, it's like it still sounds. You and I mean, the reason it still sounds fucking kickass today is because it's made to tape. It's Mark Trombino. It's like it's not an overproduced record. It doesn't have like sample replacement or like dated sounds on it. It's just like good natural rock record yeah and so because of that it's a timeless album it like will never sound out of date it, it still sounds like it was made today yeah. you know it's and like, i i only have a few notes on this so i'll run through my notes and you guys can get back to <laughs> your waxing poetic um i just <laughs> i put just angular guitars with an exclamation point in my notes <laughs> which is break, my favorite break on. way to the first describe track, guitars break on is a great example it's, of that like yeah break lights on immediately it kicks right in and it's like and that's when i think of angular guitar i think of like oh, yeah. drive like jay i yep, think of right. no knife i think of uh the white octave yeah i think of like a lot of like san diego and omaha kind of guitar like discordant and kind of just like a little a little wrong but like so totally right you know yeah. like um and they have that they yeah. have that energy like where the chords they're playing you're kind of like what the fuck chord is that yeah, but it's so it's so melodic yeah. yeah it's so melodic that i think it feels soft like there's no hard edges on mm, that record yeah. you know what i mean it's it's a it's a real just warm well, even, you know it's not a bright record kicking no. in the and track I mean, too with she runs the ride like I, I think that's my song. I think that's my that's the one that's been stuck in my head since we we started listening to this for the for the episode. And that yeah, kind of like has a promise ring vibe to it with the, like the repeated kind of the chorus like the repeated words and yeah. things like that and it's it's Another really fucking good. Another uh, Dan that I encourage you as you as you listen maybe listen to this record more is is begin to under or begin to realize that the songs are almost all 100% linear. And that was that was a big takeaway with the progress and into it over it as well, where like there may be like a verse and a chorus. Yeah. And like there may be like some sort of traditional song organization going on, but the way they play verse two versus verse one, the way chorus two sounds versus chorus one, the bridge, like it's just rather than it feeling like part and then repeated part and then repeated part, it's one it's just one brick of a song that yeah. just has a beginning and an end and it just finds the path and gets to the end. There's no, like it, when you get to the repeated vocal line or whatever, it doesn't feel the same the second time around. It feels mm-hmm. completely different or it's a riff that'll just come in for one thing and never come back. And the songs don't feel, um, another great example of this in terms of a melodic band is, is, uh, further seems forever. Further seems forever oh, yeah. is very good. I think they they were um, you know they're hardcore kids starting an, an emo band and so they're writing tunes like the way like sh- you know their other band Shy Halud would write songs where it's just like this long string of thoughts that comes yep. together and maybe there's a hook in there but you know maybe not and I think Caraba being the singer in the on at least on that first record really helped to 
solidify the the kind of like pop angle of it because his delivery was just so unique at the time. Like no one had really heard a singer sing for a band like that before. A singer like that sing for a band like that before. Whereas with Mock Orange, like they somehow make you feel like you're listening to a pop song when there is no pop to it at all. It is yeah. it's like just like a you're you're on a straight line from point A to point B and they're going to throw a million fucking notes at you, but it just feels so natural and right. And doesn't feel every part feels like it belongs, like it's meant to come next instead of it feeling like out of left field or just like, uh, like a, a, a series of thoughts that aren't meant to be together. Like it feels like a, a full arrangement, like almost like you're listening to classical music or something. Um, or jazz, you know, like it's, it's really fascinating. So though not on this record, um, w- w- the, I think if I could pick one shining moment of Mock Orange's career, uh, you know, to put in the Louvre, it would be God. That was a bad lead up. Um, <laughs> end of the end of the world. Uh, that riff. end of the world is the, is the is the most incredible fucking song I've ever heard in my life. How do you play two different leads that sound like aggressive, but then the drums came in and it feels comfortable it turns from like i mean you know some some of that playing feels almost prog yeah and then you know heath comes in with tapping drums and it's like what what this is a pop song somehow yeah damn what are are some more your thoughts uh well (laughs) the other thing i had here i was going through their wikipedia and someone in the TV industry really must love them because their list of soundtrack credits is like remarkably long and interesting. Um, they were on Tony Hawk's Gigantic Skate Park Tour, 2002. <laughs> Scott, they were featured no, in no way in Scott Bayo is 45 and single. They had multiple songs on that show. Uh, CSI Miami. Uh, 16 and Pregnant, uh, Greek, MTV's Made, VH1's Free Radio. They had five songs on Viva La Bam. MTV's College Life, they had seven songs. MTV's Maui Fever, they had six songs. MTV's There and Back, they had three. They were featured on The Real World, Fox Sports, ESPN2. And they were also on the MTV Mountain Dew Breakout Contest. And they played second. Like, uh, you know, I'm glad they got sinks. What part of that do you think it was just because it was cheap? I didn't even Um, think about that. I actually, I I would actually, uh, I don't know if this is true. So if they're listening to this and I'm just speaking out of my ass or out of turn, they should check me on this. I hope I get a text message. Come on the pod and defend yourself. But but I know they work with Feda and I know they had a big connection with, uh, what was that company in Jersey that was... um, the syndicate? No, the 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 one that was in Cherry Hill, radio, radio. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Vanderpools. Yeah, but so through the through the early two thousands, that was like the the place to be in if you wanted to get sinks or or TV hookups and and um and so they were always part of that kind of world that I think was looking out for them. Um, I mean, good for them. <laughs> you know, that's a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, whether I'm right or wrong, like if you're getting sinks on on television, fucking awesome. That's like I mean, easy. How- how many, how many, like, obviously they didn't have any stuff on like the OC, but how many people found music from like watching the OC, you know, you know like people discover music that way. That was how, uh, you know, my girlfriend talks about that all the time. And, and they, that came up in conversations with, with our friend group about how like, 
people of a certain generation. That was just like how you discovered a lot of really cool hip young bands. I mean, the, the equivalent for me and my, and maybe Andrew and you, Dan, you can, can appreciate this. The way that I found out about music as a young kid was the Beavis and Butthead music videos. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> Tony Hawk yeah, Pro you, Skater you, soundtrack but the, as well. Yeah, but you, like, you, laugh, you laugh, but Beavis and Butthead music videos were the ones that like weren't the ones on 100. They were like maybe the stuff on 120 minutes, but there were like so many fucking cool bands on that show. Like everyone from like Super Chunk to Archer's Loaf to fucking yep. Pavement. It was like that was how you found out about that really interesting era of 90s rock. Was yeah, no, that's that great. Point. You, men- you mentioned 120 minutes. Um, I. <laughs> have a have a playlist that i like when i get really really high i like to put on this you know it's like two hours of like the best of live performances on 120 minutes from like 1993 and it's fucking unhinged the shit that used to go on mtv like imagine there might be giant i mean they might be giants on tv in 2022 do you know what's funny i actually found they might be giants on television, not through MTV, but through Tiny, Tiny Tunes. Tunes. Tiny Tunes. Yeah. <laughs> they right. had multiple yeah, music videos. Yeah. <laughs> That's but so like, funny. Yeah. The uh, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, there's so much. I mean, I like heard Blink 182 for the first time on Big Air snowboarding, like the one of the worst PlayStation games ever made. But I literally used my sister's like Fisher Price microphone cassette player to record it from like my mono television to listen to like Blink 182's Untitled and and Damn It I think was on there and there was also like Dell and the Funky Homo Sapiens and like all that weird shit uh like the the Street Skater soundtrack was better than the game itself it actually like lived in my CD case instead of my like yeah. PlayStation uh so, yeah like, FIFA too, like FIFA has always had good soundtracks on that game, and and like that's a dream. That'd be a dream come true for me as a musician is to be on a video game. Like, what like cool Madden, place? Madden has play. like yeah, all those uh, EA games and stuff have uh, NHL, like the NHL stuff. Sinks, always, yeah. yeah. So that's like, cool. if anyone out there is listening and works at EA, fucking, you can just have. An <laughs> I think I think the ultimate. Uh, the ultimate expression of an artist is to have uh, a song as a transition on this American life. That's when you know you've really made people it. still listen to this American life though. I don't know. I haven't thought about yeah. that series. Dude, I'm, I'm a, I'm a B- greatest. I'm a BZ donator, man. That's the only rec, uh, radio station I listen to. Damn. I've, I've been, I, I don't listen to the radio much, you know, mainly before and after I plug my phone in, in the, in the car. But uh, out here, this is a uh, WSOU country. So uh, I, was, I would think you'd be listening to PRB out where you're at. <sighs> See, SOU, this the, too, uh, it's, it's the metal station. I think you're too far north for WPRB. I don't think I, got, I, don't think I get it up there. Princeton doesn't broadcast up to Jersey City. You're only like 40 minutes away. We used to get that yeah, in South Jersey. I'd have to check. But yeah, WSOU, the Seton, this, we, the Seton Hall metal about... station is so fucking good. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I, I, miss, I miss PRB Princeton. That's only, that's if that were in Chicago... We have a couple of really good radio stations here, but if uh, if PRB PRB is the one I really really miss. You that being stream said, it yeah, online. Everything has like its own online stream at this point. You the, know? Only, the only time I listen to the radio ever is in the car, and uh, and it's because the the van is the daily driver, and half, if not almost all, of the speakers in the van don't work. And so <laughs> NPR is actually really good because I can just listen to the news, and I'm not frustrated listening to music. Yeah, as yeah, a, exactly. Everyday thing because I if I, if only I would only get channel left, 
So if music was in oh, stereo, I'd be completely missing what would be on the on the right channel. Yeah. Do you remember remember when that stay ahead of the weather thing leaked and it was only one side? <laughs> I actually don't, but that's funny. <laughs> Yeah. That was it. The state of the weather leaked, and it was only one side. And I, I think it was yours. That's the Not only Matt's. one that matters, right? Huh. But uh, a great player. But yeah, so this record, the missing link of a ton of bands that I listened to at the time. Uh, just a fun listen. It's just like front to back. It's just a good vibe. The mission, uh, the mission statement of Stay Ahead of the Weather was Jersey's Best Dancers meets the Record Play. That was what Stay Ahead of the Weather meant, set out to do as a band, was to be like, we want to take these two records and put them together. How can I, we make Lifetime meet Mock Orange? I, you, how, so, so how, do you, how did Mock Orange not get carried the fuck away? Well, that's the like, thing. I, I struggle to understand that as well. It's like, it's like one of those mysteries of a band that just like, they're so good. They have so much material. They've been together for so long, and it just hasn't hit at a broader audience. But it's like, well, no, but I mean, like, how did they, as songwriters, not get carried away? Like, so, so technical. It's all there. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, as a as a songwriter or artist, always struggled to like quiet it down and like, you know, have a string, make it as. Yeah, you know, like take some of the just the noise out. Yeah, and I think that how, like how do you write songs? How do you just sit back and let the song do what the song's gonna do? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I struggle with that same thing. At least I really did up until Figure, I think, and um, and even now we let ourselves get carried away a little bit. But when we do it now, it's more intentional. It's like we're letting ourselves get carried away, and that and that's okay. We can just lean into it and enjoy it. Um, do you? Uh... Do you look at your catalog and you're like, there's shit I'll never play again? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I think most bands do. You know, uh, you- yeah, for sure. But I mean, like, it, I guess what I'm getting at here is like, not that, not like, are you embarrassed of songs you've written? And that's not what I mean by any means. But like, like were there artistic decisions that you made the moment where you're like, that was not the right move. I mean, I look. I feel that way about almost every album I've ever made. I, I think, like, if I were to make Proper again, uh, the biggest issue that I have with Proper is a lack of layering because we just didn't have time, and I wasn't skilled with that yet. But also, the the tempos on that record are all wrong. Like, I wish, I wish uh, Connecticut Steps and Midnight Carol Street and Embracing Facts were all slower. I wish they were at a, at a slower tempo. I wish I feel like right. they would have hit a lot harder had they been. Um, I wish that, uh, uh, you know, with a record like Intersections, I wish we had made a couple, like, I wish I wasn't so overboard with all the crazy decisions that we made with that. Um, I also wish we used smaller cymbals on that record. The drums would have sounded bigger if the cymbals were smaller. Um, these are all things you learn that you make records more and more and more. Um, I, there's stuff, so on, how does it- there's stuff on 12 towns. I wish we paid more attention to. I think I was still approaching those songs with like the, 52 weeks mindset where it was like, we have to do everything fast. And it's right. like, we could have taken our time and really developed those songs a little more, but I think that's also kind of part of the charm is that it's like, that was, a that was a fun era. Cause I mean, that was very peak of, you know, the time I was active in that world too. Uh, and like the people that you had do the splits with you were like a really cool group of choices. Like what, what made you decide to like choose the band? Cause you, there were two songs per split across what 10, five splits 
or six that then splits. Became twelve. Yeah, twelve towns. I guess twelve makes sense. Uh, so the the way that we chose the splits were a lot of it was based and founded on old friendships. So um, swing set, for example, was this dude Jordan who played in a band called Adios, who the Progress toured with. Um, the everyone every everywhere split like they played in Madeira, which the Progress played with Madeira all the time. Um, you know, I was such a big fan of, of them as people, but also like I just known them forever. Um, Castavet had become my really good friends here. That was why they they got chosen here because I wanted to do something that represented like Chicago, like the famous little the famous Snack Town cover. Yeah, and then our uh, Such Gold was a band that I was actually actively touring with a lot at that time. So I, you know, felt like I had a really good connection with them as like we were hanging out a lot. Um, Bob Nana was somebody who I really looked up to, you know, and still do. And so it's like, that was important that one of the splits would be with somebody who was like, kind of like a, a, a influence, like a really strong influence for me, you know, like something kind of what felt like almost a little un- unattainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were also, we were also buds at that time. And then, um, empire empire was, had a big deal to do with the fact that like Keith was one of the first people from empire empire who ever hit me up about releasing into it over material like right when we were still doing 52 weeks he hit me up about releasing it and i was like ah, i don't know and um and so when i approached counter like stars about doing one of the splits it was like yeah we should we should do one together because we talked about this in 2007 and it never yeah. happened so let's do it now i um, love keith he's like one of the nicest people on the planet yeah so that that was kind of the, that was the impetus for choosing everyone kind of had like a different a different role in the like lineage and history and storyline of what into it over it was um i also think all of the backgrounds were just slightly different enough where they all had their own fan base and people that could be like receptive of what we were doing yeah um, yeah really the whole the i'd be lying though if, if 12 towns wasn't completely not completely but really founded in like a marketing play like what better way to market your band than to do six records in the course of a year with six different bands on six different labels with six different artists. Like, Oh yeah. That's, that's fucking 24 people talking about your band yeah. to their whole, to their whole extended audiences that they're growing at the same time. So yeah, I, put no, into it over, I put into it over it in front of like <laughs> thousands of people through this like long winded marketing ploy while yeah. also having a new record to promote all the time. So I could I, tour all year long and there was always something new on the table to be like, that's really cool. Yeah, check, this out, check this out. So at the time when I was really trying to hustle and needed to be on the road a lot, that was a super helpful thing because it was just, there's always someone new talking about it. There's always a new record to promote. There's always something going on. Um, and, uh, and that was, that was the idea. I, I don't know if this is true. Wasn't snowing originally supposed to be one of those splits and it fell through? That may have been the case. We we had done a tour. Me snowing and Glockamora had done a tour and that might have been the case. I I mean, there's always I don't remember that. I mean that it was forever, mean it, guys. That, remember, that, that, like, doesn't, that doesn't mean it didn't happen. You yeah, know? yeah. Like that could have been absolutely right. I mean, I would have loved to have done a split with snowing. I think that would have been fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, so I have a I have a quick question about the mock orange album, the record play. Um, <laughs> what do you what do you what do you think about Ryan's lyrics? I think they're fun. I think they're very fun. 
I think they're very, very fun. I, I, I think having met him, he writes like the way he is and the way he talks. And as a, as a lyricist who does the same thing, I have a lot of love and respect for that. I write lyrics the way that I talk and, and, and they're very just honest lyrics to who I am. Um, my favorite lyricists have always been this. Steve Pony is a great example. Steve Pony writes lyrics the way that he talks. And right. so when I, I feel like I'm absorbing him when I listen to him sing, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm not getting who this person, those are always my favorite. Like I think Bob Nana is a great example too. Like when, when I listen to them sing, I feel like I'm absorbing them as a human being. And that's what I want out of a singer. I want them to be confessional and themselves, you know? Um, I, I think here's, here's my one, my one criticism, not, not about the record play, but about like some of, the instances where, where people are singing the way they talk is that I think there's a lot of times where that tends to get into like player one, like my consciousness is the only one that exists. Like this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. See ya. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. It, there's a, there's a, a lot of bands that I think do that where I look and I'm like, I don't know. I don't, you know, that didn't grab me because that didn't make sense to me. And it's not because of my personal experience it just feels exclusionary in some ways, not everybody. Cause I think there's a way to do that and have, you know, like you can apply this, you know, when I listen to the men's singers and I, I don't, I don't just say that cause that, cause that episode went up today. But when I listen to the men's singers, I'm like, I don't, not all of this makes sense to me, but I get what you're saying. You know what I mean? I feel like I'm there too. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that, you know, there, I don't like everything that Ryan sings feels genuine and like funny without being goofy. Yeah. And it's, it feels real, like you right. know, relatable, it, but not mundane. You know, it, he, he's also really good at painting a picture, but one, but a picture that you could interpret in your own way. You know, like. I got to believe the way that I interpret some of his lyrics or the visuals that I would apply to some things that he's singing are not how it happened for him. Right. Maybe not really about him at all. Who knows? But he's really good at setting a scene. Like you were talking about Touchstone Bell earlier. Like that's a great example. Waking up Monday morning, one eye open to the rhythm of the Touchstone Bell. Like, yeah. Thinking about like waking up, like, oh, fuck, one eye, like with the phone up like this. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I can visualize, you know, maybe in my own experience, like in my own bed, I don't visualize what Ryan's bed looks like, but like, you know, that's an, ex that's a shared experience, you know, like, so he's, you know, I, I, when I listen to mock orange, I'm not, I don't actually listen lyric lyrics first. I listen to music first. There's some bands that I listen to that. I listen to lyrics first. Um, they're not, they're not one of them. Like death cab is a band that I listen to lyrics first. Right. I was going to say like who, when you think lyric first, who, who, yeah. who's, I, who's up there? I'm like, a, I'm excited to listen to a to a record that Ben Gibbard wrote because I want to hear what he's singing about. You know, right. I'm, I'm excited to hear a record that Jeff Rosenstock wrote because I want to hear what he's singing about. Um, right. You know, I think those people have really poignant things to say and observations about life and, and living it, you know, and, and especially the, like the earlier material for sure, at least for death cab. But like, I mean, are you, are you still listening to current death cab? Um, yes, I still buy, I still buy the records when they come out. I think, I don't know if a record 
any of the newer records will rock me quite the same way that like photo album did or we have the facts did um you know ben, dave bazan dave bazan's another great example i dave bazan 1000 percent lyrics first like mm-hmm. what is dave singing about i need to know you know like He's going to have some unbelievably poignant shit to say. He's going to have a turn of phrase that I'm going to need to hear. Mike Kinsella is a great example too. I really love Mike's turn of phrase. You know, like, Same. and so, you know what I, you know what I liked about Mike and especially that early or the mid era Owen stuff is that he would like kind of sang about being a pervert without like being a pervert. <laughs> like there was something, there was something so sexual about, things that he was singing about and not even not even the lyrics just the way the delivery that i was like yeah well, it's just it was okay. so it was so uh like matter of fact is just how he said it like it didn't it didn't have any emphasis on it it was just this is how i'm what i'm thinking you know uh yeah that mid-era pervert owen really hits <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's the only way I can think to describe I it. Yeah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if I. Uh, <laughs> you don't have to co sign it. Don't worry. Well, no, I just, it was, uh, what was the song where he literally says, like, Bon Shot, like, good pussy? In. Uh, it was the. Uh, it was one of the hits off the wow. mid era Owen stuff where he speaks you French. You just outed yourself as somebody who speaks French, Daniel. <laughs> Is that something that needs to be outed? <laughs> I I didn't know until now. Now I just feel uncomfortable. I mean, I've read. Yeah, I've been on Genius, uh, rap Genius, <laughs> emo Genius. Uh, <laughs> what song was that? Uh, I, I can I can sing it. I can sing it in my head. But I, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it on Ghost Town? Too many moons. Yeah. yeah. I can play it for you if you'd like. Uh, yeah, no, we're we're good. Right. Um, <laughs> we have the technology, but yeah, uh, I love I love when someone's got something to say, you know. And Andrew loves uh, it when it's something perverted. Any any, any lyricist <laughs> that can paint a story and sing as though you you can really believe what they're saying was an experience that had happened to them. And it isn't just like, like John Mulaney has that bit where like he said that music has become like tonight is the night and we only have tonight. And that's yeah. like, <laughs> now, right? like I don't, I'm not interested in that. Like I, there's a place for that in my, in my music absorption world where like, I do sometimes want a song that is like just a fucking pop song and who gives a fuck. But even like, you know, thinking about like the Grammys this week, right? Like, I don't know if you all listen to that Silk Sonic record, but even like that record has some what to me feels like lyrics in it that really happened to fucking Bruno Mars. Like it really feels like shit that him and Anderson were like, like true stories about their lives, yeah. you know? And like, and, and that's fucking pop music. Those are pop songs with like yeah. <laughs> fucking awesome and funny and kind of irreverent, but also like really heartwarming and like, and also just relatable scenarios that they're well, in. There was you something know. I remember reading in an alter, like an old issue of Alternative Press, uh, not to not to dig up canceled names, but there was a an interview with Jesse from Brand New, who talked about he's like yeah like they literally asked him like are these songs all experiences of your life and he admitted he's like no like all these things haven't happened to me some things have happened to friends some things have happened that I saw on television. Like I've put myself into these scenarios and written as this different person or written as 
someone in a certain situation that hasn't happened directly to me. And it caused this uproar where people like couldn't believe that he wasn't experiencing all these things. But I think that takes even more of a, like a better songwriter to be able to write about things that don't happen directly to you. And you know, that, that reminds me um, of going to see Dave Bazan at world cafe uh, right when like his first solo EP came out. Um, and he was like, you know, playing by himself and everybody was sitting at the seat at those cocktail tables. And, and at one point he's tuning his guitar and he goes, does anybody have any questions? <laughs> and somebody goes, yeah, like when you wrote options, how did you tell your wife you were writing that song? And like, he laughed and like, he was like, you know, there's, you know, there's, there's a time where you have to write songs to like fit a narrative of a story you want to tell. But that doesn't mean that like people in your life aren't going to be like, hold on a second. Let's <laughs> talk about this. Yeah. I mean, like, have you written lyrics that you're like, man, I have to explain this to somebody. Not you, Dan. I don't care about your lyrics. <laughs> no, well, you you don't want to read my lyrics. <laughs> funny that you, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I wrote a song. That was meant for standards, and it actually just went hit streaming like not too long ago. It's on the standards B. It was one of the B sides for standards. It's called uh, Centrifugal, and Centrifugal is about a friend's divorce, but written from the perspective of my friend. Okay. And, huh. and so, is it, is it Andrew? No. <laughs> um, but so that was a, that was a song that I never had to explain, and I still haven't had to explain it, and I don't plan on really explaining it more than what I'm explaining to y'all. But like was a tune that I felt self-conscious about releasing for a really long time because of the lyrical content. And, um, you know, I was in this situation as a friend to this, to these, to this couple that was divorcing where I was friendly and friends with both parties and was being not necessarily put in the middle, but I was definitely getting both sides of the story. And who knows, you know, the truth's always somewhere in the middle, who knows where, like, you know, how much of one party is trying to illustrate to to the to to me that one is more fucked up than the other person and blah blah blah. It's just a messy divorce. But I had all these thoughts and really good lyric ideas that I was excited about at the time when I wrote the tune and it has this kind of like dark energy to it. And um and I don't usually write songs like that. I don't usually, you know, I wanted to explore that that strength as a lyric writer to see if that yeah. was a thing I could do. And um, you know, and and but thinking about it like, you know, retrospectively, like I, I felt self-conscious about it because I was like, people are going to hear this tune and think this is about me, you know, like that I went through this situation or that this is applicable to something that I experienced. And it's like, yeah, sort of like I experienced it on like a tertiary level, but like, but I thought the, the story made for really good lyric writing. Yeah. And I think, so. I think that's something a lot of songwriters have to deal with is, is just everyone kind of reading the lyrics as them happening directly to the person singing them and like that's even weirder yeah. for a lot of stuff like you know bands that the guitarist writes all the music and lyrics but the singer is singing them and people oh, like man. imprint i well that was a big fuel. thing with fallout boy and yeah and fuel too the other big band um, but, i saw that i saw that vh1 storytellers and i was like why the fuck is that guitarist talking so much <laughs> <laughs> but uh that, I, that was always a big thing i think with uh with like fall Boy was pete wentz wrote all the lyrics but he wasn't you know patrick was the one singing them and it was like always this weird dynamic and I, even uh when i used to tour with major league same deal like brian was the primary songwriter and and you know the singer 
Nick sang them, you know, sang someone else's lyrics. And I feel like that's always like jarring. Everyone always expects the person singing them or singing what they wrote and what they experienced and what they felt. And it's, it's sometimes a well, disconnect yeah, because, for some people. Because it, it becomes a performance mm. and not. You're acting. Which, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't want, I don't want you to tell me somebody else's story. I want them to tell me the story. <laughs> well, so that's not true. They Sometimes might not have as good a singing voice, you know? Yeah, I know. And honestly, that's, you know, like it's all about strengths and who wants to take on, I mean, lyric writing is fucking hard, man. It is yeah, real hard, you know? And, and I, you know, and even now, like in recent years too, like, especially with like pet sim and with there, they're there and with other bands that I play in where it isn't so confessional in the same way that into it over it is. I've, I've tried to like be a little more obtuse or a little more, you know um, maybe some of the lyrics are founded in something that's actually happened to me, but sometimes it's just nice to come up with a fun, cool turn of phrase to, to fit in instead that maybe has nothing to do with, with the actual story. There was, you know, when we were making standards, I was told a thing about the mountain goats, which uh, you know, John, Darnell is such a fabulous lyricist. Like, and uh, but there was a story that had come out during the process of making standards where you know we were kind of talking about what John Vanderslice was filming in and what Darnell's process was. And part mm-hmm. of Darnell's process is that he'll insert a lyric in every single song that means absolutely nothing. <laughs> it, has, it has no, it has no meaning whatsoever to what he's writing about. It's just some complete non sequitur. And that's like a little thing. That's like a signature to his to his art that he'll just like it had, could just be completely fucking random, and he'll just toss it in there for fun. And, and so I always thought so I always much. thought the line I, "I smile as you ease the gun from my hand" didn't really fit that song. <laughs> so I guess that sort of makes sense. So I actually um, I feel like we're winding down a little bit. I, there's something I, I think I brought it up on another episode, but it it was like one of the weirdest shows. Evan, do you remember playing Siren Records in Doylestown, Pennsylvania? Uh, it was Pet Sim, Tyler Daniel Bean, and I think one other band, but it got mushed together. Oh, where it was you fucking were fucking and full of hell. And, and, and uh, Loma Prieta, all in the same yeah. show, and it was bananas. Was an awesome show. Oh, that I was that insane. Show. That show was so wild. It was like when Pat Sim played with Soul Glow too at the church. We Pat Sim always has so that are that, uh, that new record is unfucking real. It's they're fucking incredible. But yeah, Pat Sim always Pat Sim always likes to play shows where we're maybe the odd person out or it's or nice mixed bill. I I wish there was more mixed bill shit happening yeah, out here. I I miss that, but I think I think that show specifically was two tours that got like smushed together. I'm assuming. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, probably. We were but out with Sundials. Was, they were able to set it up. Um, yeah, such a wild combo of bands. Though. That was such a fun night, <laughs> especially yeah, the fact it was, it was in in the record store too. You know, it was like a, a weird location. Uh, the stage in the center for some reason at that one it used to be in the corner. Um, I mean, I miss Siren. I love that store. I love playing. Progress used to play. Is it not there anymore? It's still there. I mean, I, I'm I'm say I miss it just because I haven't I haven't been. Oh right, I keep forgetting that you live uh, in um, Reckless Records territory. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a new store. I have a new store here in Chicago now that I moved further west called Tone Deaf, and it's fucking great. Um, that's become my new my new haunt. Nice. Um, but yeah, one of my favorite Chicago moments, uh, only because we're talking about it, was you being so nice to take me over to where Championship Vinyl was from High Fidelity, <laughs> right in the middle of Wicker Park. I think it's like a, I think it's like a fucking like. 
like Lululemon now or some shit. That's like oh some fucking. As it should be. <laughs> I mean, CBGB's is, Var- is Varvedas, so oh, yeah. say. <laughs> a huge upgrade. Um, well, cool, you guys. I got to bounce because we've been talking for two hours. Two yeah, yeah. Hours no, now. let's uh, let's wrap it up. Uh, Evan, let's uh, let's get your plugs in here. I want to hear them all. List all the bands. Okay, so here's what, I, here's what I got going on. So Intuit Over It just released uh, Double LP Live at the Red Room, which was a live set we recorded in 2020. It was just prior. It was supposed to be our record release show for Figure. We wound up recording and doing a live video for it. So now it's out on two, Double LP. Um, we just recorded our split with the band Hikes, or recorded, we just released our split with the band Hikes. Um, they're going to be out on the road with the band Covet and Gates, I believe. And we're going to be going on tour with Couplet, or well, we're going to be going on tour with the band Pool Kids and another band that I play in called Couplet, who just had a record come out in September, October of last year called LP1. Um, there's going to be more happening from that band this year. Um, what else? When is this airing? Uh, like two weeks two weeks um so this may air in time for y'all to find out that into it over in pet symmetry are playing fest this year Ooh, uh, wow. we're comes full uh, circle yeah i know both i think both bands are doing all request sets at fest which is going to be That's pretty sick. fun um and then there's uh you know there there has been an active band you're going to see something coming from that probably in the next eight to ten months uh and pet symmetry is currently recording a record right now um but our record future suits came out last year uh there'll be stuff happening with that um and then storm chasers and we've been running everything through our uh vinyl subscription patreon which is at patreon.com storm chasers uh we release a vinyl record every month we include bonuses for our 35 dollar tier so if you're a 35 dollar tier you're usually getting two records a month and then, um, you know, and sign up for, you know, we anything we do is like generally released exclusively or leaked well in advance happening over there. kind of helps us support doing what we do and keep releasing records and, and doing things ourselves. Um, and then, you know, if you want to check out the Storm Chasers web store, I think it's just stormchasersltd.bigcartel.com. I'll, yeah, it's such a rad thing you're doing with the Patreon over there me mailing you your record it's literally coming from my hands to yours so <laughs> that um, possibly packaged as we as we just spoke yeah i mean uh, you right here there's like these were like the, the 300 records i boxed up right before we got on this call so oh my god uh, amazing i'll just wait to go out tomorrow I, they, they should have been out last week but it fucking covid yeah um yeah i think that's i think that's pretty much everything i got going on right All now right. man you should really do some more <laughs> Dude, it's funny, man. I'm I'm busier with music now than I was when I, it was full time. It's wild. fucking crazy. I work work nine to five, and then from five to eleven, it's it's art in some level, some way, yeah. shape. Or form. That's nice. Andrew, where can people find you? Uh, well, I'm so glad you asked because today I launched. Yesterday we launched the uh, Run into the Ground Twitter, the official. So you can find us at uh, Run in. The number two, the ground, <laughs> only because we were one character too many to just have the whole thing. Um, I've, I've, I've retweeted such gems as why these trees got to smell like jizz, though. So if you want more of that content, you know where to find me. Um, you I can't can also imagine find me who on, wouldn't. Uh, 
Yeah, really. Yeah, that's what I always say. Uh, you can also find me um, with my child here in Baltimore, Maryland. <laughs> also on Instagram at Mice Called Life. Dan, how about you? Uh, you can follow me, Dan Bassini, on Twitter and Instagram, danbassini.com. Books, zines, prints, whatever you want. No Invite Volume 8 in the final processes. About to hit order on that soon. So that'll be, hopefully, maybe find a place to do a show, proper release uh see everyone in person again that'd be rad uh yeah and you can follow i've seen it it's good yeah you have you're you're one of the few exclusives who've, who've caught a caught a whiff of uh what i got going on with that what do you what do you think it's i don't know what i'm looking at but i love it <laughs> that's all that matters and uh yeah follow us both do all the dumb bullshit you got to do rate review subscribe follow retweet tell your friend all that stuff uh evan gotta say so happy to see you. It feels good. Oh, great uh, to see you guys. Thank you so glad much for making the time. Well. Yeah, you guys look healthy. You look happy. You look fucking. You got you know, a, I'm glad a, a COVID survivor on the pod. Oh man, most. <laughs> I mean, dude, we're all we're all gonna. If you haven't had it already, we're all gonna get it eventually. You know, oh, just I got do what it. You can to be safe out there. Awesome. Holy shit. All right. Well, that that wraps it up. Uh, everybody, until next time. Bye. Bye.